Welcome to Elementor Talks. Today, I sit down with Gail Breton. Gail is the mastermind behind both the blog and the training content at Authority Hacker and co-directs the market research, content, and link-building efforts for all Authority Hacker's websites. As you will notice from our talk, Gail is one of those rare marketers who freely shares tried-and-tested strategies that anyone doing marketing, myself included, is so eager to find out. Gail, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Nice to talk to you again. And how are you today? Uh, I'm good. It's boiling hot in Budapest where I'm living right now. But, uh, and I'm literally dying because I need to work on my aircon and fix it. But other than that, I'm pretty good. You, you were born there? In, in... Uh, no, I'm actually French. Uh, so I was born in Normandy in France. Um, but I haven't lived in France for almost 10 years now. So um, I studied business in France. And... As part of my business degree, I was offered to go study a year in Hong Kong. So I went there. When I came back, I was like, I don't want to live in France anymore. Uh, so I looked, for, um, I looked for an internship in Hong Kong again. But at that time, it was around the time of the financial crisis. And Hong Kong was probably one of the hardest hit city in the world. I mean, I was there in 2007 when it happened and I could see everyone lose their job overnight and it, it was pretty crazy. So as a student finding an internship and starting a career in a city that's been hit as hard as Hong Kong was complicated, because I had to do an internship, I found a place in Kuala Lumpur actually. And that's when I got an internship at the age of uh, 20, 21, 21, I think, uh, in an SEO agency. It was an Australian company, but they had an office in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for, well, I think budget reasons, mostly uh, cheap labor, et cetera. And, you know, the funny thing is like when I applied for that, for that internship, they were like, are you sure you want to go there? Like, is, is that really what you want? So basically they were going to give you pretty bad jobs, et cetera. But I was like, you know what? I want to go back to Asia. You know, the pay and the cost was correct for an internship, which uh, first of all, it was a paid internship, which is quite rare these days, I think. And and so, yeah, I went to Kuala Lumpur, moved back there for six months. And then after that, I got, uh, I got hired by that company part-time while I was finishing my degree because I guess I did okay. Uh, I, I, I kind of liked automation already back then. So I took kind of the grant work they gave me and, and, you know, Googled around and found tools and, you know, made Excel spreadsheets and so on. Before we go, go into it, I'll... I'll... Tell the audience how I got to know you and sure, and go for it. Uh, so we we actually when we expanded and uh, one of the people that we hired was uh, Yaniv is on on our marketing department. He's a big fan of yours, so uh, he told me about that to check you out, and uh, then I discovered really that in terms of marketing, you you you're really unique in in that department, and I really want to explore these subjects with you today because. Our audience, you know, is interested about in growing the business. And I think I've seen in the community a huge interest in like creating content. And it's, it's, it has different challenges than the challenges of design, but not, no less uh, interesting. They're quite uh, tied together as well right now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I see also a, a strange division between people that hone, you know, more design skills and marketing skills and combining them. So... It's really interesting what is going on right now because I'm also I started in also in the SEO business I think it was wow 15 years ago I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but let's start 
uh, with you. Can you, yeah, you, I'll let you continue. Like, okay, no worries. I mean, first of all, I want to say, uh, I think we try to be unique, but we base a lot of most of our stuff on what other people have discovered as well. And we try to quote them as much as possible when we get ideas from them and so on, because, you know, nobody invents anything from scratch these days. It's really, it's really kind of like iterative of other people's stuff as well. So. Definitely. You get inspired. It goes through your like uh, filtering and your personal way of, of uh, delivering it and then uh, you, you you spread it out That's... yeah or you, you apply a twist on it or something like this but like yeah it's it's very rare to come up with something truly unique that nobody has thought about to some extent uh, in, that, in that market at this point I think um, so, so you were in Hong Kong yeah so I was in Hong Kong I saw the financial crisis wanted to live there but couldn't because nobody was hiring and so as a, as a backup plan, <laughs> I was like, I want to go back in Asia anyway. I got hired by the SEO agency that was an Australian agency, but had offices in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured out how to automate a lot of the grant work they gave me to the point where at some point in my internship, I had maybe like an hour of work a day and then the rest I would just like <laughs> browse forums and, and read, et cetera, just, just, just too much what I was given. So they, they liked it. And so they could have either fired me or, or, or they gave me a job. Well, they, they decided to give me a job. So I was, I came back to France, finished my degree. But in the meantime, in the evening, I was hired by these guys and it paid a lot better than working in McDonald's. So that was good. And then basically as I finished my last exam, I think, I think so you, you were studying while working. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a side job, you know, after classes and, you know, on the side, maybe a bit in the weekend and so on. I had to basically do a part-time job. And it was, it was good. I, I used to play video games to play my studies, to pay for my studies before, but then I, I actually got a real job. So that was good. And after that, I think 36 hours after I finished my last exam, I was already in Singapore going back to Kuala Lumpur to that company because they had hired me full-time. And that worked out quite well at the beginning. I stayed six months... Uh, no, I stayed eight months uh, in Kuala Lumpur. And in the meantime, in Singapore, through a common friend, I met the guy who is today the co-founder of Atari Hacker and all the businesses that we run together. And we've been working together for seven years. Mark. Uh, it's Mark Webster. So you, you talk to him on the podcast. Yeah, Mark, Mark is definitely, uh, it was a fun podcast because Mark is definitely doubting the power of page builders and he's he's had some bad experiences and so that was a fun a fun chat between you guys but anyway okay. i met him yeah i think i met him seven years seven or eight years ago in singapore he was also going to kuala lumpur and you know the job was fun at the beginning you you know i had that kind of honeymoon period but then i got, I got kind of bored you know it's like in the end it was always the same stuff and and i, I didn't feel much progress and also um, for this company, I was like, oh, I have these ideas to make sales, et cetera. Can you just give me $500 so I can run that test project to try to boost your sales, you know? And uh, the CEO did not want to give me this $500 that showed a lot of trust, you know? Um, <laughs> so, but the, but they, had a, they had a resellers program. So what we did is one night with Mark, we got drunk like we usually did because we were young and stupid. And we were like, oh, what if you signed up for the reseller program? And we spent our own money on trying this marketing tactic to make sales. And, you know, who knows, maybe we're going to make sales and then just you know, essentially you would sell, resell a service for like $700 a month and the, the SEO company would kick you back like $200 or something. So I was like, you know what? I believe in my thing. I'll put my own money behind it because they didn't want. And so we mm -hmm. did it. Mark signed up. I couldn't because I was an employee. And uh, and it worked out. Essentially, we ranked, a, we ranked a site for a bunch of medium-sized SEO keywords and we had a live chat on it and we started picking up clients and referring it to the company. Before we knew... This was a content website? Like how did you 
get uh, essentially like i was good at gray hat link building back then and so i was able to and and the truth is seo was not what it is today it was yeah. quite easy to uh you know cheat at We're least in the 2009 something like that or yeah 2010 i think but yeah it's like it was quite easy to to rank for keywords at least in the medium like short medium term and and start picking up traffic and this traffic was still quite relevant and so uh, yeah we essentially built that site and i was like my strategy was essentially let's build like you know you don't want to take risks on your brand site but build sub brand sites like sub branded sites and use riskier tactics to pick up leads and then just like essentially act as your own reseller uh, yeah. They didn't want to do that. I did it. It worked out. After a couple of months, this side business was generating something like $3,000, $4,000 per month for Mark and I, to the point where it was like, why am I even bothering with my job, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's the time at which Mark was like, I'm sick of Asian food. I'm moving back to Europe. Uh, and so he did, and he just flicked the map, uh, saw Budapest on the map, opened Craigslist, saw an apartment with a beer sign at the entrance, which he liked a lot. Why Budapest? Literally because uh, at the time he was a project manager on Upwork for actually for building websites. And um, and he wasn't making enough to like live in central London and have the high life he dreamed of. So he looked for a cheaper place. And at the same time, he found an apartment with a beer sign at the entrance. So he thought that was cool. Rented it for a month, went to Budapest and never left. And I was like, at this point, I was like, you know what? What, what is that place even Budapest? Like, I'll never see you again. See you later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Something like that, right? I was like, what are you doing? with your life but then when they started making money i was like when the when the side business started making money the thing is like we were essentially resellers so we were making just a small cut because you know the the, the seo agency which i was working for and i was doing the work for the clients who were selling essentially and managing these things and i was like why are we not just running the whole thing that would make more sense you know and so that's what we decided the, to the do was was an seo software it was an seo agency it was like a, a service you know okay so it was just like, you know, basic on-page optimization, basic link building, you know, all the kind of stuff that SEO professionals still do to this day. But it was kind of like, it was packaged as a, as a monthly retainer. Uh, people would pay a fixed fee and, and get some SEO work done on our site base. And so, yeah, I was managing the process and we had the site that made the sales. And it was like, at this point, it was like, well, you know, why, why are we bothering with this company? Especially because they made questionable decisions on the tactics they were using and uh, on my experiments on the side on the also the lead generation site we had built together with mark we actually were getting better results than the agency itself so at this point we were like well let's do this and then but the middleman and uh, yeah and at that point they actually had just moved me to london maybe like a month or two before that to open uh, a european office for them it was easy for them because they were uh, you know because they were australian visas etc complicated to go to europe but for me i was european so they sent me to london uh, and at that time as well it's like I had a good life in Kuala Lumpur, but they moved me to London without any kind of increase in salary. And so my lifestyle went from my lifestyle, sorry, went from, you know, having a nice apartment in the city center of Kuala Lumpur with a swimming pool and being able to go out a bit to having three pounds per meal to eat in London. Uh, and at that point, I was like, this is not the life I want. <laughs> um, 
So I booked a ticket to Budapest. I think it was January 2011, something like the 6th or 7th, just after New Year, basically. At that point, I had burnt a lot of my money in London because I wanted to live in central London because I was like, if I live in London, I want to go to all these networking events. I want to I take advantage of the city. But my rent was crazy expensive. That was basically all of my salary, all of my salary. And I had just a little bit of money to eat. So I arrived in Budapest, with, despite the fact that this reseller site was doing okay because I was spending a lot of money. I think I arrived in Budapest, you know, early January 2011 with something like 700 euros on my bank account. Uh, well, I was a fresh... And that's after you quit. Yeah, that's after I quit. So we had a bit of income from this um, reselling business, right? But we also, uh, at the same time at which I moved and I quit, I'm like, well, uh, and Mark at the same time quit being a reseller for this agency. And we're like, well, we're going to do this full time now. So we had to deliver a service so that people would keep paying, essentially. And we had to at least match what the agency was doing. And the goal was to do better. We thought we could, but at this point, it wasn't done yet. So, When you stopped being a reseller, did you already have uh, clients? Yeah, because we had, the, because essentially we were white labeling this agency's services, right? Uh, yeah. So we, we just took over the back end. But for the client, you know, the only thing that we said is like, hey, we have a new base camp address. And then mm -hmm. just took over from there. And so, yeah, it's like once we had bought all the software tools we needed to run the SEO stuff, I had bought to buy a new laptop because I had a company laptop before that and so on. I had about six, 700 euros left. So I think I had like six weeks or something in Budapest because it's a pretty cheap city. Did you have doubts regarding whether you'll uh, succeed? Whether well, yeah, I didn't know, right? But first of all, I was young and a, a Ryanair ticket back to France was something like 50 euros. Mm -hmm. And then I could just back, go back to my parents' place, right? So, uh, you know, it's like at this point, many of my friends from university still hadn't found a job, right? So I was like, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Worst case, I run out of money. I go back to my parents' place and I'm exactly where many of my university friends are anyway so it's like it you know it's kind of like about timing when you take risks you know when you have low responsibilities and low needs but still like when i moved to budapest i was sleeping on mark's floor and we started the agency on mark's floor as well he had a single bedroom in a pretty average area of budapest uh and i was walking on that floor and i was sleeping on that floor on some kind of really terrible foam mattress and walking on the laptop with a Hungarian keyboard that I had just bought when I landed because I had to start working and I had no laptop when I landed. Uh, so that was our life. Mark's parents heard about the situation and actually uh, paid our <laughs> paid our deposit to get an, so we can get a bed each, you know, so we, so we could actually sleep properly. So they did that. But the good news is actually we really pumped a lot of work into the lead gen site. We also took all the leads that we had on When you have to sleep on the floor, it's kind of... Yeah, it's motivating, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, let's let's do this. And so because both of us, essentially, Mark quit his Upwork job and I quit my, uh, my job, we had much more time to put into this. So we actually collected all the leads that we had talked to on the chat, but didn't convert, started emailing them, just really hustling for sales and so on. And the good mm -hmm. news is, Uh, something like three months later, we actually were making already five figures per month in sales with that agency. And we had convinced a friend of ours who was also a reseller for the old agency to join our backend, essentially. Together, that was, uh, I think, by March or April, this agency was making something like $15,000 or $16,000 per month revenue. revenue. Mm -hmm. So there was costs associated, but now we could finally just 
you know, eat more than frozen pizzas yeah. and not sleep on the floor, essentially. That, that, was, that was step one. And then we were able to put a bit of money aside and et cetera. So everyone could live properly. The third guy was living in London, so he was more expensive, but he was doing all these, um, he was going to all these networking events in London, trying to even sell the services and so on and try to make sales. And that was working pretty well, right? The clients that you already uh, had from the reseller and from mm-hmm. uh, new traffic, but put a lot of effort into real real life meetings so yeah because we had a, like now that this guy had joined the team essentially he was living in central London and you know every night there is this kind of like networking events in London etc and it's very easy to just go there and find all these startup founders and so on and because the product we were selling was essentially I think it was around six hundred dollars and even at some point we made a four hundred dollar per month package so it was quite cheap you know so it was it was fairly easy to say look it's like Look at the price of paid traffic. If you just put a little bit of that budget into SEO, it's probably going to at least pay for itself or be equivalent to paid traffic. Give it a shot for six months and then see how it goes, you know? I think this is something that is very underrated because people think when they're starting a business, okay, I'm going to do create the blog posts and get traffic and pay, pay ads and that's how I'm going to get clients. But actually, the, the seeing a person and, and explaining to him and... and Or her and, and showing you that you're honest and you're, you're, a, you're a decent guy that's actually a great way to get clients yeah I mean it's like it, first of all people know they can reach you in real life like they know where you are etc and just gives them that sense of security over just you know putting your credit card information on the internet mm-hmm. um, yeah. and uh, and overall like at the beginning you're not looking to build a scalable business you're just looking to build something that will sustain you right that's step yeah. one right? Like when we teach to build websites, you know, we, now we have these three stages. We have stage one, stage two, stage three. And the only goal of stage one, we tell people, is not to build like to become an mil- internet millionaire or something. It's to just buy your time back so that you can, you can just use it to grow something that then can scale, you know? The, the, uh, I, that's why I like also the, the, your approach because you see a lot of other, you know, uh, people who teach marketing and how to make money. Their marketing tactics is like, okay, this is the the Porsche that I drive and the chip yeah, yeah. that I got and like uh, you can be this guy and this this dream is is uh, I, I see it everywhere. that's that's why for me it's it's maddening every time I see this. I mean, it's kind of like it's hype, 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 you know it's it's possible to get there, right? but like there's going to be a lot of steps and a lot of failures before you get there essentially. Yeah, but it's crazy that in 2018 it's still viable marketing tactic. Ah, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people still still believe in that, et cetera. I mean, the, the truth is uh, it can it can happen. I've seen some people get lucky, but it's not the majority of people. The majority of people are going to struggle for a while, and overall, there's just a learning curve. You want to capture the skill, you want to know how to do things. And then first of all, even if you fail, you still have that skill, and that's a marketable skill. you can get paid for it. And the second thing is you'll be able to face difficult situations with your business as they arise if you have struggled before, actually. so. Yeah, it, it, it takes time. But I've also seen some people get lucky. We have a student, after one year, he was making like something like $15,000 a month or something like this. So it, it happens, but it's not everyone. Yeah, and I think even if it happens, being modest is something that is it's good on, in the long run in terms of branding, at least. Yeah, I mean... Don't see you as, you know... Yeah, I, we don't brag too much about our stuff or whatever. I, I just find it cheesy. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm coming from like the gaming community and all these things. And, uh, you know, there's this cringe thing. Like, it's like being cringy is one of the worst things in this community. Yeah. And like, you get called out very, very easily when you, 
you know, even when you're sponsored, etc. I mean, if you look at YouTube, for example, like anything that's sponsored or like obvious brand placement, etc. People get completely trashed. Same on Reddit and all these places. I kind of come from all these communities, so I don't. I try to just talk about the stuff we do and try to give value, and then people can decide for themselves, you know, and they can try it. The way we market ourselves actually is we push forward the people that use our stuff, and if they've done well, they. Not us. In this sense, I think the consumer today is smarter because you get affiliates that just, uh, you know, promote everything new that is on AppSumo without yeah. testing it. <laughs> but I think people are more critical today and they're looking for the stability of products that can sustain, you know, they don't want to invest. Even if it's 40 bucks, they don't want to invest it and next week it's gone. Yeah. But I also think the shiny object syndrome, people start understanding how this works. Like they can't just be a new, amazing, world-changing tactic every two weeks, you know. Uh, it, it can't happen. The, the truth is business takes a long time to build. If you want to do, be successful, it's going to be like two, three, four years. I mean, you guys see with Elemental, yeah. right? Uh, it's like, it's not, it's, it's going to take some time. And you could build something quickly, but it's probably not going to be that great. Most of the time, if you want to build something solid, you're going to have to spend time on the base and it takes months and months and months. And mm-hmm. I know it because... Plan ahead, yeah. Yeah, I know it because I'm... launch, you need to think you're like one year ahead. Yeah, and you need to have some competitive advantage, right? And and for this, it's just going to be a hustle. It's there's no there's no way around that. Fast forward one year, we the agency was actually seven people, I think, or something like that, and we had opened a small office in Budapest, uh, and we started getting our marketing together. We actually built a real brand, not just having these small reselling sites that were using gray hat tactics and so on. So uh, seven people. What are their uh... There was mostly two roles, right? There was the account managers, which were client-facing. Um, it's more like, you know, explaining what's going to happen, managing the campaigns, doing reporting, just overall making the client understand what you were doing for them because SEO is quite, you know, abstract most yeah. of the time. And on the other hand, we had marketing assistants, which were essentially doing the work under the supervision of the account manager. And then uh, Mark mm-hmm. and I would mostly just uh, work with account managers and work on sales. That was essentially how we were. And uh, and overall, I mean, we've had ups and downs, but uh, after three years of this agency, at some point we had something like 38 people in an office in Budapest. And we were doing work for really big brands. I mean, we worked for Expedia, we worked for Flippa and 99 Designs, uh, we worked for Macy's, we worked for Atari. Getting the client, did the tactic change from... Um, it was a lot, you know, as you get to know more people, it's basically kind of a snowball, right? So at the beginning, you you roll your snowball and you feel like nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. And then as you meet more and more people, you also work on the intros, right? So what we would do is we would tell the the few clients we'd get, hey, if you intro us and a person signs up, we'll give you a whole month free. You don't need to pay us or anything. One thing that we did as well is we, um, well, let's just talk about one thing. Let's talk about the... Google Penguin update. So we used to do gray hat stuff and that worked really well, but then Google made big changes in its algorithm, mostly through the form of two updates called Panda and Penguin. So Panda was mostly targeting terrible content, so content farms, etc. cetera, uh, companies like Demon Media, which were uh, you know, really big content producers milking SEO essentially to make AdSense money and was billions of dollars. Okay, there was a site for, for how to's uh, I can't remember. I know Ezine articles got destroyed. Um, yeah. And there's a few others. I mean, um, WikiHow or something, maybe? Ehow.com. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a huge... 
so they got mistakes, yeah. they lost so much right oh, this was one probably one of the hardest updates on on the industry and entire fortune 500 companies etc got hit quite hard because just the way of doing seo changed and google started applying the first machine learning to their algorithms through panda and a lot of content was like basically unreadable because before that you could literally take someone else's article run it through a program that would just use synonyms for words in the article repost this and rank on google right this this was how google worked and google then figured this out was like hey what if you run every word against its synonym and figure out which content is fun and which content is terrible and so on and well all that stuff went down panda didn't affect us too much because we cared quite a bit about the quality of content but the thing that came after affected us a lot and that was penguin Essentially, you could spam your way to the top of Google before, and it was so effective that legitimate tactics were very hard to compete with just because the, the spamming stuff was so much more cost-effective that, yeah, any, apart from huge brands, everyone was doing this, or most people. I'm not going to say everyone. Some people were believing, but, you know, there was people, big SEOs like Will Reynolds, etc. they were giving these white hat SEO talks and they would come off stage and they're like, why is Google making a slide to everyone? You know, that, that, is, that, that was the state of the industry. And then the first version of Penguin came and many versions came later, but really the first one was the one that shook the industry. Yeah. And it made all these spam tactics a lot less effective. And most importantly, every time you were spamming, you took a chance of your site being completely penalized and losing most of its traffic. We're talking 90% here. And that's what happened to a bunch of our clients that's yeah. when that came out. Yeah. Suddenly they uh, need a demand for... Uh, how can you fix my penalty? <laughs> yeah, it's like now it's a whole industry branch, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but And now it's actually a lot easier because Google has released tools like the Disable tool. And now they try to ignore bad links rather than penalize you for it. But back then, there was no way to get out of it other than removing the links and wait for the next refresh. It was a manual refresh. And that only happened once every six, once every six months or something. So it was a huge, huge deal when you were hit by this update. And you could not fix it like you can fix it today. And so, yeah, we, we lost a lot of clients. At that point, you know, we were big. And then, yeah, we had to, to shrink down because, and we had to change our tactics. And that's when we were like, well, this was a terrible experience. We never want to do this again. So <laughs> we decided to completely change gears and keep the same. So what I really liked about the Grey Hat community is the efficiency, mm-hmm. like the systematized way of approaching things, whereas white hat SEOs tended to work for big brands. It was really easy. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, just create great content and you're going to rank, et cetera. And it just didn't happen for small brands, right? So what we try to do from that point on is kind of retain that mentality of the gray hat people, but only work within the terms of service of Google. And that's how we started figuring out, you know, more efficient white hat link building. So we started with guest posting. At some point, uh, our agency got so big on guest posting because the demand was so big after these spammy links became toxic, essentially. Uh, at some point, our agency did something like a thousand guest posts in a month or something. Like all our stuff was basically full time, just outreaching to other sites, mm-hmm. etc. Can Can you uh, put a, a bit more focus on on that? I mean, on why small brands have a harder time leveraging their content if it's quality content than like big brands. Okay, I mean, first of all, small brands don't have time to create quality content. <laughs> They're just yeah. too busy trying to run their business. 
And so that is that is step one. And and it it really creating good content, you're not gonna do it on your first try. I mean, if you go back on the first blog post on Atari Hacker, it's terrible. Don't even go and read it. It's bad. Next, you need storytelling. You need a, a whole li list. You need to get a hang of it as well, right? It's just like not your it, you, even if you get the idea, just 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 you need a few iterations to do a process properly. And so when big when small brands struggle with time, it's very, very difficult to iterate fast enough to actually keep up with people who have no budget. And and I'm sure you guys have the same problem with Elemental as well. And our clients, of course, also face this, I think. Yeah, and, and on the side, you, you have these bigger brands. Like, I mean, at the time, that's when Coca-Cola released their content marketing plan. That was like the, the first time like they were talking about content marketing for a huge brand and so on. And so a lot of money was starting to get pulled into content. I mean, that's when projects like the Red Bull Stratos project started to be funded and so on. Like a lot of, a lot of like big brands started investing in content and that, that squeezes attention even more and makes it harder to get people's attention. So yeah, it's, it, it's quite difficult. And then after that, even if you manage to create that content, it doesn't just get out magi magically to people. You need to actually hustle to put it in front of people. You need to talk to people. You need to email them. You need to tweet at them. You need to do all these things. And once again, time is the most scarce resource in a small business. And the, the thing as well is people don't know how to do this efficiently. And I feel like the SEO industry has been pretty bad for a long time at talking about efficiency without reaching, just because people were so afraid of uh, being called uh, being called spammers, etc. They would not talk about how you can uh, reach 20, 50, 100 people at once. They'd be like, oh, just write a really personal email to yeah. Personalized email to everyone, etc. But the truth is, the people that read them, they don't have time to do this. They just they need to make money. They need to produce the work that they promise to their clients. You know, that's when we try to essentially put ourselves in the shoes of these people and be like, okay, how can we build processes that are not spammy but still remain uh, efficient for the people that only have you know six hours a week to work on this? You know, yeah, uh, uh, because because that's that's the budget I would estimate a small business owner can put into doing marketing and if you're going to be spending half an hour writing each email to to promote your piece of content and you get a 10 percent response rate well you're going to get like one or two replies per week right wait is this the time where you switched from being a, an agency to being more no that came a little bit after to be honest it came too late i wish i did earlier mm -hmm. um the reason why is i was frustrated with client work mostly because i i felt like I, I, I was coming up with very creative ways of doing things, but clients were scared of it. Because they were small or, or medium sized, do you think? Yeah, and overall they just they just wouldn't they wouldn't take they wouldn't want to get off the beaten path to try to try new things, you know? Mm. And also when we were working with big brands, I mean when we worked for Macy's, for example, it was it was crazy. We had to have six people approve each outreach email we'd send for them, for example. We had to have the social media manager, we had to have the lawyer, we had to have the SEO guy, we had, you know, all these people and so much red tape and it was... Yeah, I think if you're, if you're a website builder, someone who creates projects or marketer or whatever, you have on the one side, it's, it's hard working with the big brands because mm -hmm. the, of the bureaucracy and the, the slow pace and, and the, on the other hand, working with smaller uh, companies also has... Yeah. because they don't have enough money to, to sponsor the, the effort. Or they don't want to take risks. They don't want to do yeah. anything bold or anything. And, and you, you end up doing these very basic campaigns all the time. And, and personally, I wanted something more creative, you know? Mm -hmm. And so something like 
a year and a half later, we like with Mark, we just didn't feel the motivation anymore. And so that's when we decided to just work full time on our websites. The good news is something like six months before we had started a test project called healthambition.com, still live, uh, still good moneymaker. That was this idea of like, hey, let's build one of these big sites and just put some of the profit we make into producing content, figuring, you know, using all the people and the, 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 the writers we have used for our agency to start building our own site, see if we can make some money from it and maybe replace some income or just build an asset, right? Uh, back can in the tell, day, tell more about what what the site is is about again. Health ambition is a pretty broad, poorly researched, <laughs> poorly researched in terms of niche angle. You know, it's like it's a very broad health mm -hmm. site. If I started a site today, I would not take this angle. But hey, it's here now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it produce uh, cash for you, like how? Uh, it makes money from affiliate marketing. It makes money from uh, display advertising. Mm -hmm. And like we don't sell them now because we we're refreshing them, but we were also selling ebooks on this site. Mm -hmm. So that that was the three main business models we've been running on this site. And you know that's a site that makes mid five figures per month. Mm -hmm. And you know people can go and check it out healthambition.com if you want to see the keywords we're running for. Put it in Ahrefs or something. It's all opened. Um, and the so you can go. You, and... you publish there is about uh, health. Uh... Yeah. So, so that would be things like why is soda addictive or, uh, you know, is there a substitute to coffee or uh, what are the health benefits of lemon juice? These mm. kind of things, you know, uh, so pretty generic, you know, feel good health content, yeah. which which is quite popular. I mean, this site gets like, I think like 650 or 700,000 visits per month right now. So it's, it's, it's pretty decent in terms of traffic. It's not it's not huge for this market, but it's decent. But yeah, the, if I had to change something, I would take something a bit narrower today. That That's the one regret I have on this site. But anyway, that was our test project. And we were like, let's see if it works out. And uh, at the beginning, it didn't. <laughs> the first year, it didn't make much money. We didn't know how to, you know, build these kind of like passive income type sites, etc. We, we tried AdSense. It didn't work out very well. Uh, we tried some ClickBank stuff. Didn't work out very well at the beginning and so on. But we kept going at it. And eventually, after a year, I think that site was making $1,000 a month or something which, you know, wasn't much compared to what the agency was making, but we were like, oh, we don't have to do any work for this money, you know? Now mm -hmm. that the site is up, it's it's just automatic. And and with Mark, we make the conscious decision to um, that this is the kind of stuff we liked most. Like, we wanted to build something that uh, where we essentially just have to pay for servers to be up so that uh, for it to make money. That was the idea. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it's a lot of work to build this. So it's not, it's not like to do nothing, but it also, we kind of enjoyed the the complexity and the, the fact that it was refreshing that we could do whatever we want without having to ask the clients, without having to pitch it to the client, etc. We really enjoy that part. And, and overall, the iteration was so much faster because of that. Uh, so we also learned more about marketing because we were able to, to do these things fast without uh, take risks and so on. Yeah. And so uh, I think six months later, we decided to just sell the agency and take a leap of faith, uh, started a, a couple new sites at the time and, uh, you know, used a lot of the money we got from the sale to just buy a bunch of content for health ambition and other sites. Uh, and yeah, uh, after maybe six to eight months, the site was making now five figures per month, doing quite well, like basically getting to the point where we got to with the agency after about like eight months, so about the same amount of time. And then based on that, when we saw the success and when we saw a lot of people asking us a lot of questions about it and friends doing the same kind of stuff and getting success and so on, 
then we started Atari Hacker and we're like, we're just going to talk about, you know, these, these kind of Your business. We're like, we're, exactly. It was just like that. We're like, we're just going to share the, the stuff we're trying, et cetera. And uh, that's when we started Atari Hacker. And uh, we were writing blog posts at the beginning. There were, my idea was also that, uh, actually quite interesting for you, that most tool companies at the time produced horrible knowledge on how to use their own tools, like stuff like get response and so on. And my idea was like, oh, with Atari Hacker, what I can do is I can show people how to combine all these things together to build a business yeah. and then just get affiliate commissions from it. That was the business model behind Atari Hacker. But then as I started doing videos and so on, people were like, oh my God, this is great, et cetera. Like, uh, I like the real life examples and so on. I think it, it, this makes total sense because if you have a startup and you're focusing on, on product, you most likely won't have uh, the best ways to, to use, to explain how to use your... your and to combine it with other tools as well, right? Yeah. Like just, just how do you create a, a business ecosystem for your website to just combine all these things together? So how do you build a funnel? You know, now, nowadays you'd say mixing Elemental, ActiveCampaign, tools like Deadline Funnel, yeah. and uh, Thrivecart, let's say. Like how do you combine all these things to build something that's smooth for the user that's going to be high conversion? and uh, do well for you, you know? And, and most tool companies will not cover that because they're just limited to the scope of their own tool. So that was the business model. And to be honest, I kind of want to go back to it eventually. Just we've been, since we've produced a couple of videos, people are like, oh my God, this is so great and so on. And at some point, someone offered me some money to just do a tutorial. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so I started doing that. I started, I started making a series of five, six, seven videos and I sold it to a guy for like, 50 bucks or something. It wasn't a lot of money. It just, he asked me for it. I was like, whatever. And then I offered it to someone else who asked me the same question and they gave me 50 bucks, et cetera, et cetera. It happened a dozen times. And I was like, okay, so what if, what if I was trying to even sell that knowledge and not even rely on affiliate commissions? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I did the first course I created on Atari Hacker was how we use opt-in pop-ups to uh, and you know all the exact settings we were using. For example, everyone was so crazy about exit intent, but we actually found yeah. that on-page load pop-ups were converting four times more and like all these little tips and tricks uh, from real-life experiences mm. and real-life experiments on health ambition. And yeah, and I put all of these together and after people would opt in on Atari Hacker, I made a really basic sales page. Uh, there was no page builder at the time, so it was really basic. And, uh, and, and offered that to people and then we started making sales every day. And from there, we've made more and more tutorials to the point where now the premium member area in Atari Hacker Pro has something like 230 videos now. Wow. And how do you see the, the difference between, I, I know it's, it's a crucial question, like the difference between making videos and writing content. How do you see that balance and how did it work for you? Uh, uh, to be honest, we're pretty bad at it right now, so <laughs> we can do better. Um, the thing is, I mean, I think video is the future, right? Uh, YouTube is writing and the content, uh, yeah, in huge uh, articles, 5,000 thing words. is like, here's my problem with huge content. It's like, I feel like the world is mobile basically now. Most people use the internet mobile in our industry. It's a bit skewed. It's still a lot of desktop because it's professionals. But the B2C markets, I mean, if I look at health ambition, 70% of the traffic is mobile, right? Yeah. And so I feel kind of weird when I see Google pushing 5,000 words article on top of searches, because like who wants to read 5,000 words on their mobile phone? I totally agree. And I, I saw in, in a, a YouTube channel that I'm following uh, this lecturer, he said that 
this is the new revolution that uh, YouTube is like the first time where the visual uh, and the, the spoken word is as and of course with podcasts as well it's the first time in history where the spoken word is as easy to translate and easy to spread across the world mm-hmm. as the written word yeah think about it. I mean now even Amazon has this transcription uh, machine machine learning based service yeah, right where it sounds really human like someone. <laughs> Not yeah, robot. Yeah, I, I recently heard it. Yeah, so it's like uh, 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 my feeling is that Google is still living in the old world a little bit when it's pushing this really long content forward, and uh, I don't think it's going to be forever just because of the way people consume the internet, and it's just like it's pushing something people don't want. And if Google wants to stay on top, they will have to put pe- what people want in front of them. So I, I actually wrote, we wrote a big blog post on Atari Hacker on like the, the, case to, the business case for short content in 5,000 words. I think that's the title of the post. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, it, I personally believe more and more in like actually shorter pages targeting very uh, specific problems. And then using YouTube and podcasts for pretty much every pages, uh, you know, put it at the top of the post and then put a written version below, basically. And that's where we're going to take our business personally, even though if you look at what's working today, these 5,000 words articles are still what's doing really, really well on Google. I just don't see it having a really long future, though. I think that's one of the things that differentiate, you know, the people who really succeed is that people that can anticipate what is going to happen eventually and make the steps before everyone else because that they get, you know, that uh, first mover's advantage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look even at people, it's not just us, right? If you look at people like Neil Patel, he's actually stopped his, what I call the content meal. So, you know, for a long time, it was all about producing as much content as you can and putting as much as you can out there and so on. And uh, it feels a lot of people in this industry are backpedaling from this, mostly yeah. because... He's moving into product, I, I think, right? Well, it's not just this. It's like the, we were putting, and we did the same, right? We've made the same mistake and so on. Um, we we're putting a lot of content out there, and then you realize that maybe only 10% does well, right? And then yeah. the rest is, it costs you a lot of money, especially when you hire writers and so on. I mean, we're calculating with Mark, right? Uh, in the last podcast, and we've spent over a million dollars on content in the last in the last three or four years, I think. Wow! So a lot of money, yeah. um, and 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 it all of this for ten percent of it doing well, you know. Yeah. So we're like that that just doesn't. There's probably a better way of doing this, and I think a lot of other people have realized that. So now it feels like people are going to produce less content, probably make it more targeted and put more production value behind it. So for example, now we have an illustrator that's producing stuff for us. We have, you know, we're hiring video editors, we're hiring all these things and essentially becoming full media production companies versus just article writing companies. I, I had a, a recent talk about this with uh, the, the CEO of Yoast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also told me about their uh, big moves uh, about building a, a full studio and making yeah. videos, short videos all the time. So I think the leaders of the market are starting to understand this. Yeah, it's happening. I see, I see a lot of people doing this. Definitely the, the what I call the content meal. So probably last year, that was the biggest trend. You'd go on most of these marketing blogs and just a lot of big sites. I mean, I look at sites like Dr. Rax in the health niche and so on, just, you know, sometimes publishing three times a day a 4,000 word article or something, just because they had the staff and they had everything, they had the process. But actually, the return on investment is not that great. 
<laughs> so so yeah, it's 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 a change and, and content production is probably the next step together with mixed media. So you know a post that has text plus video plus you know yeah. illustrations plus all these things. So how was it for you to the, those first iterations of of starting your course? Uh, the, the, as I said, the first the first version I think was like seven videos, mm-hmm. um, and I sold it for nineteen dollars. And I was just this opt-in pop-up course on like how we set up our pop-ups to get maximum return on the traffic and get the highest conversion rate possible. That was just this, right? And mm-hmm. after that, what happened? It was quite successful. So I was like, okay, I'll combine all my uh, email list building tactics into one course. It was called Double Your Leads. And then it went from seven, eight videos to I think thirty. And you know there was things like content upgrades, so you know like how long customized video. How long were the videos? Um, between five and fifteen minutes, maybe. Okay. Each, just I mean they were kind of like sequential videos, so maybe one tactic would be showcased over three to five videos, you know. Mm. So it's like okay, like let's talk about the types of opt-in pop-ups, and that would just be one video. Then there would be okay, let's talk about how to set it up technically, and then I would just do it on screen, and then they would be like, okay, let's talk about what you should put on your thank you page to maximize conversions and so on, you know. So I would yeah. I would just like make these mini modules. And uh, and so yeah, I did that for content upgrades. I did that. I think there was a bit of Facebook retargeting in there. Just combined all the stuff we used to build email lists, and uh, that was called Double Your Leads. And this time, I jacked up the price at two hundred ninety-seven dollars. But what I was doing is it was an upsell, so I would still sell the pop-up course right after people opt into our email list. So it was like $19. I think I pushed the price up to 29 at that point, just so that it's more consistent with the upsell. Yeah. And then when people would buy this one, I'd be like, hey, do you want the other tactics? The whole package is going to be 297 in total. So one click upsell, people would click and buy it. And same, that did pretty well. I mean, obviously a lot less people were buying $297 than were buying $19 and $29 courses, but that's you know, the nature of funnels. Yeah. And um, and after that, like, because we were doing a lot of SEO, because we were doing a lot of, of these other things, we essentially started documenting every aspect of the authority site building process, including making a full course on how to start a new website, which I'm actually reshooting right now. And uh, actually, it's all using Elementor. And uh, yeah, that even that course now is 120 videos. <laughs> wow. At this stage, you don't have... Uh, clients anymore i mean you told no we don't have the agency was sold actually when we transitioned to mm-hmm. authority sites so it was sold and we don't the only clients we have is the people but other people buying the courses you know so how did you keep updated with you know all the newest software and the, how do you uh, i mean first of all i'm a nerd so <laughs> i just follow it because i like it mm-hmm. um <laughs> and second of all um we were running our own websites, right? So mm. uh, because we run sites like House Mission and now we have a whole portfolio of websites, we always look for better ways and for ways for these sites to make more money. We always tell people like our main job is to run these sites and Authority Hacker is just documenting this. Yeah. So I would say my time is probably split half-half now between the portfolio and Authority Hacker because it's it's a lot of work to reshoot a lot of stuff right now. But still, like, I mean, we we have calls with our writers for different sites every week and so on. And, and we work on these sites and Health Ambition was just redesigned. And uh, and so we keep up by actually doing this work and, and actually running the business model we teach people to do, you know? Yeah, so how tell us a bit how Elementor comes into play in your workflow and what are the challenges that you personally because you're not, you're not uh, you're not kidding when i see a, a recommendation for software that you you put out then you it means you checked it and you need it for something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
I mean, first of all, I think this, the, the start of page builders changed everything, right? Because I, I know, you know, basic HTML, basic CSS, etc. But I'm definitely not a developer. I studied business, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, I, I, it's really hard. It, it was really painful to uh, work with freelance designers, and it would take forever for changes to come back. You know, I would ask for a tiny change; it would take 24 hours to come back, and so on. So, building a site would take ages if you wanted a designer. So, we just ended up settling and just going with our terrible design skills and tools we had, and just building sites that didn't look good, right? Uh, and if yeah. you look at Atari Hacker at the time at which we're recording, it's one of these sites because we're redoing the whole thing completely. It's quite old now. Mm. But uh, but yeah, it's like, so we just decided, well, we're going to fast, like done is better than perfect. So uh, we're just going to completely ignore design and et cetera and branding because we just can't do it. And it takes too long, too much money, et cetera, to hire designers. So when page builders came out and especially the Elemental team builder lately, uh, it just allows us to, you know, we know about branding, about, you know, brand colors, fonts, et cetera, all these things. It allows us to take these very basic elements and put them together into a site that now looks professional and looks like it can compete with bigger sites in the industry quite quickly. I mean, I'm literally building the case study site for the newbie course right now. And I was building the header with Elementor yesterday. And it was amazing. It's like, I took, I actually took drrax.com. And I was like, can we, this site makes, I think they had a report of like $16 million last year or something, a big site, right? Mm -hmm. With a lot of very expensive devs behind it, et cetera. And I was like, can we make a header that looks like them? And within 20 minutes, I was able to build something kind of similar. Then I ended up changing it because I found there was a better way for this website I was building. But just the fact that we can go there, we can build something that's at least 90% there in terms of design in Elementor, it removes so many communication hurdles slash delays that we can iterate so much faster. And that, I think, gives a huge edge to small businesses that want to, that, that they just can't afford all these designers, all these people, yeah. uh, and or are not designers. You know? Also, I think it's, it's a shift because basically when we launched Elementor two years ago, the, the focus was really for, for desi designers. And I think if you mm -hmm. approached the average marketer, they would just, I want my site to make money and that's it. And I think now yeah. it's getting... Uh, people are starting to understand that if your site will look like bootstrap, it will have, you know, the perfect pop-ups and conversion rates and big signs and everything, but it won't look good, <laughs> beautiful. Then it's not going to convert. It's, going, it's not going to build your brand like you want it to, to build. You, you won't be yeah, it's because, right? you know, people are interacting with operating systems that look really good themselves these days, yeah. like macOS, iOS, Android, etc. They're all super sleek these days, much sleeker than they were three, four, five years ago. Yeah, with and so, design and all that. Yeah, but now if your, your site will really look terrible compared to the environment where it's displayed. So it's kind of sticking out if you look bad now, because there's been so much focus pushed on design in the environment in which your website is showing up. Even the Chrome redesign, I'm running the Chrome redesign right now. It's amazing. It's super nice. And if your site looks like it was built in 2001, then then yeah, you you, you look untrustworthy as well. And people won't put their credit card number on your yeah. site. You know? Looks shady. So uh, I have a few quick questions. I hope we can manage to go, yeah, go, ahead. go through them. Like, what's your typical day like? Oh. <laughs> My typical day is mostly extinguishing fires. <laughs> um, no, but like, because we manage a very diverse team, designers, content producers, etc. My job is strategy and giving direction to people. So that would be planning what the next pieces of content we're going to be creating are both, you know, 
paid content and free content, doing a lot of competitor research, like getting to just spending time reading other people's sites and analyzing them in tools like Ahrefs and so on, taking notes, building big spreadsheets with like, you know, what are their highest, like fastest growing pieces of content that we don't cover yet. Mm -hmm. uh, how do they promote it? Where does it get promoted? These kind of things. There's definitely a part of like, part of my day is always spent kind of like with creative thinking and like how to put a new twist on link building strategies or sales tactics or that kind of stuff on websites, some CRO as well and so on. And then I would say half of my day is still content creation at this point, mm -hmm. um, because obviously you can have all the ideas in the world, but if you don't put them down, then nobody knows about it. Definitely. And what role does honesty play in all that in your... Um, I think, I mean, first of all, I couldn't, I don't like bullshit. So if I, if I was bullshitting, I would probably just close it down. If I didn't believe in what we do, I would not sell it basically. But I think overall, just this kind of like non-BS speaking appeals to at least a certain segment of the market that's just tired of the overly polished communication of competitors. And, and it, you know, it feels fake. It feels politically correct. It feels all of that. It feels... And it doesn't feel real as well. And especially, uh, I think the fact that we actually do what we talk about and you can go on sites like Health Ambition and just like go through the site and literally find the pages we make money on, et cetera, and see which keywords and so on. It gives a lot of credibility versus a lot of people who talk about that stuff, but just do it teaching people. Like they make money teaching people how to make money, you know? A lot feels like self-help, you know? Yeah, but it's like they, they teach you how to make money by selling you how to make money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's kind of like a snake that eats its own tail. And I feel I feel like a lot of people, I mean, when they start in this industry, they might be okay with it. But um, eventually, uh, you know, if people stay around, they, they get a little bit tired of this. And I think they'll just be like, oh, this is this is how much money this page made. And this made this much money because I did this. And it's like, just, just not, not going around, not typing it for two hours, etc., cetera, uh, is refreshing as well. So yeah, overall, I would say we're not mainstream, but we appeal to a segment of the market that either is making money already. I mean, we have a lot of really successful people in our uh, private member community, or are just tired of overly polished communication. That's how I call it usually. Yeah. So if we're talking about people who make sites for a living, like they usually are spending most of their time building the website, you know, designing and prototyping and all that. So how would you advise them to best spend their short time on what, which marketing channel offers the, the most potential to them, do you think? Actually, email outreach. Email outreach is, is still the best. Like, I mean, I could, if you're mm -hmm. just starting out, if you don't have a huge budget and you don't have m what we call learning money for things like Facebook ads and so on, then email outreach is by far the most cost efficient uh, market. I used to even make sales with it, right? So when we had the agency at some point, uh, I'm going to talk to you about a tactic that a lot of agencies can use, actually. At some point, I wanted to contract design agencies, companies that build websites for them to resell our SEO services. Mm -hmm. And so I literally downloaded a list of all the cities and towns in US, Canada, Australia, UK, Ireland, mm -hmm. New Zealand. And I appended words like design agency, design, the website design, etc. And then I scraped Google for all of them, for like the top 20 to 30 results for each keyword. And that was like a whole weekend of scraping. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I ran 
you know, e I search for emails using a tool like hunter.io. Mm -hmm. And then for the emails I found, I would just literally just email them and say, hey, are you guys selling SEO yet? Otherwise, you know, we should, we should talk, click here to book a call with me, right? And, uh, and that generated, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales. Wow, that's um, super smart. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, but once again, it was about the efficiency of like uh, the process, like which keywords to scrape on Google, scraping it using automated tools to find emails. And then just be like, hey, if you want to talk about reseller, if, you want to, if you're not selling SEO yet, there's a, an extra business opportunity. It's not going to take much of your time. Uh, and we can do a free trial for one of your clients or something, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, it developed so many relationships for link building contracts, for full uh, SEO management contracts, et cetera. But the real power of this is, you know, for most marketing channels, it costs quite a bit of money to reach people these days. I mean, we do Facebook ads for Atari Hacker and a lead costs like 6 or $7, right? Yeah. And a lead, it's like, you know, a small percentage of them will become customers. But email, like you can use a tool like Mailshake that costs $29 per month. And um, you can use a G Suite account, which costs $5 a month. And then Hunter.io, I think for $59 a month, you can, add, you can get something like 20,000 emails, if I'm not sure. You just need these three tools. And then you can contact a lot of people. And you use a free Calendly account. You send a link and people just book calls with you and then just do your calls all day explaining what you do and trying to find common ground to sell them. Once again, it's not really, it, it's kind of like semi-scalable, but you still need to talk to people. Yeah, that's actually a great tactic. I don't know how many uh, will actually- No, everyone does it and- <laughs> No, yeah, of course. It, but I mean, I don't know how many designers actually will use scrapers, but I think that's, is that, is that something also that you teach in, in the course? I mean, these kind of tactics here yeah, for outreach and so on, yeah, we talk about, about how we, we use that for content promotion, but I use that for sales. I use that for anything I need to talk to people to, right? So tell us a bit more about the course, and I think we, we can uh, I close down the, the interview. <laughs> I mean, we can talk for hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can keep going, right? But uh, <laughs> we got to go at some point. <laughs> so, I mean, there's several courses, but I'd say, I'd say the one that will probably be the most interested, interesting sorry, for your audience it would be the one on starting new authority sites so that if you're a designer, if you're a WordPress professional, et cetera, uh, obviously you'll know already how to build a website. But what we talk about in this course as well is market research, how to establish what is a good market before you spend any kind of money, you know, building the list of what you're going to sell, how to find things like affiliate offers and just building a pretty strong business case for something that's likely to work before you even put money into this. We obviously cover the site building, but we also cover things like content creation, how to create content that converts and makes sales, uh, but also content that will get shared and get links. So you need kind of a balance on these sites that you create so that they gain traction on Google and these cheaper traffic channels. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. It's the whole process of us building one of these sites. And actually in the previous iteration of the course, we're re-recording it right now, but uh, in a previous iteration of the course, it's funny because I did this site. I was like, you know, it's just to show how to build a website. I built the site and now it's already made something like 25 or 30 times the money it cost me to build the website back, actually. Mm -hmm. that, that's super amazing. And So I'm just going to say, if you want to read more about this course, you can go on atarihacker.com slash system. That's the URL. Yeah, I'll also put the, the link in the, in the post when we publish it. So, uh, Gail, it's been totally eye illuminating talking to you and really i hope we can uh, talk more in the future maybe when we you, when you launch the new version of your course 
uh, yeah. in the mentor. For sure, it was great. I'll also be militating for features for affiliate websites for Elementor because I feel there's one or two widgets that would help a lot for affiliate marketers. So if if any marketer listens to this, I'll try to push them to build them. I'll do. I'll definitely. Do it. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, coming uh, to our podcast. Awesome. Bye, Gail. Bye. Bye.